So those of you that were here last week, um, Pastor Chris, as usual, had a, an amazing message, and he interviewed a missionary. Uh, uh, his name was Garrett, who who was a missionary in South uh, China, South Asia and Central Asia. And if you haven't you know, listened to that or heard it, I, I suggest that you that you do so. And this is my message today is is really a follow up to that. And in, in his message, uh, Pastor Chris quoted 2 Corinthians 5:20, which reads, "We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were working His appeal through us." So we're called to be his ambassadors, and his ambassadors meaning to help other people know who Jesus is. Well, today, my message will be more on how we can become even more effective ambassadors for Jesus. How we can become more effective ambassadors. And the title of the talk is Character Matters. Character matters to God, and character should matter to us as well. Well, I'll start with the story. A number of years ago, I attended a talk by a man by the name of Tony Campolo. Some of you may know Tony Campolo. He has written books. He's given lots of talks. He was an ordained pastor, but he was also a, uh, a teacher, a sociologist at Eastern University in Pennsylvania. And if you ever heard Tony, he's, he's, his arms are going, his voice is loud, and you probably don't want to sit on the first uh, first uh, row when Tony is speaking, but he he has an he gives an amazing message. Now I don't agree with all that Tony says, but this message that I listened to uh, really resonated with me. He started his message with a question, and I'll ask you that question. It's a rhetorical question. His question was, "What do you most want for your children?" when they grow up. What do you most want for your children when they grow up? And if you're not yet a parent, it's, it's, you can think about future children. If you're a grandparent, what would you most like for your, for your grandchildren? So what would you most want for your children when they, when they grow up? Well, Campola went on to say that in a survey, most Americans say that they, they want their children to be happy, to be happy. Now that's, of course, embedded in our constitution, the pursuit of happiness. And I was sitting there, that was how I answered the question. Well, Campolo went on to say that there was a similar survey done in Japan, and the Japanese, answered, the Japanese parents answered the question differently. Japanese parents said they wanted their children to be successful. And apparently after World War II, that was the sort of idea as they wanted to raise successful children. Well, Campolo went on to say that he, he believed that both happiness and success as goals in life are really flawed. We can never have true happiness, happiness all the time, or success all the time. We go through failures, we go through, through difficulties. Instead, he said that we should strive to have our children and ourselves to be good, to be good. He said that's how he was raised by his immigrant Italian parents, to be good. And he went on to say that by good, he meant to live a life of service. And of course, that's, that's biblical, to be, be a, have, live a life of service. You know, Jesus came to serve, and we're told that those among us who serve will be exalted. Well, that really caused me to think a bit about that, that whole question of, of what good is. And I think it's really, it's even more than serving. I think good is, is being people of good, positive character. These are things like character, like, like um, integrity, gratitude, uh, generosity, compassion, love, humility, all those would, would help make us really good people and help us become effective ambassadors for Jesus, I believe. 
So the question arises, how can we be good? How can we be good? And I believe it's, it's living out those characters and today, characteristics. And today I want to focus on two characteristics that I think are very important. First is humility, to live a life of humility. And the second is to be, and this is again to be effective ambassadors, is to be, have fierce resolution, to be determined to help others know who Jesus is. So live a life of humility and to be determined to help others know who Jesus is. And that's how we can become effective ambassadors. Well, Jesus is, of course, one of the greatest examples of someone who lived both out. And let me read from what Paul says in Philippians 2. Who, this meaning Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God with something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Yes, Jesus subordinated his will to his father's will, to the point of dying a death on a cross. And of course, he lived a very, very humble life. Now, in addition to Jesus, the Bible has many other characters that exhibit these traits of humility and a fierce, des a fierce desire to do God's will. And I'm going to just very briefly, I'm going to talk about three of them. One is Mary, you know, the mother of Jesus. You know, Mary, very humbly, she lived a humble life. She was a young girl, and she accepted, she had the courage to accept the calling from the angel Gabriel. And she was courageous in telling Joseph and likely other people in her family, in her community, you know, her situation. She was pregnant. Uh, she told them that her situation, and she courageously traveled with Joseph to Bethlehem to give birth to Jesus. And throughout her life, she lived a very humble life, and she was courageous in staying and staying with Jesus, you know, throughout his torture and through his resurrection. She lived a life of humility but a life she knew what her mission was and what Jesus' mission was as well. The second example is Moses. You know, Moses is, is, was said to be a very humble man, and I'll read from, from Numbers 12, 3. It said, now Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. One thing that might have made Moses humble is he had weaknesses, like we all have weaknesses. He was said to have self-doubt. You know, he had a speech impediment. Um, he, was, he, was, he was challenged, and that may be added to some of his humility, but he was incredibly courageous, approaching the Pharaoh a number of times to, to have the Pharaoh let the Israelites leave Egypt. And of course, courageous in leading the Israelites out of Egypt. And he was courageous in confronting the Israelites as they rebelled a few times when they were in the, in the desert. He did amazing things, but he was also a very humble man. A third example is Esther in the book of Esther, which you, you may have read. And again, Esther came from a very humble beginning, but she was also beautiful and she was, her uncle helped her become, going to the court of the king to become potentially the queen of Persia, the queen to King Xerxes. And she did, in fact, become the queen. Well, in the story, um, King Xerxes had a, had a second in charge, Haman, who had it in for the Jewish people. 
And he had the king had to give a proclamation to have all the Jews in Persia killed. And when Esther heard about this, she, she was prompted to go approach the king, to approach King Xerxes. And the Bible tells us if you approach the king uninvited, that could mean your death. But this young girl approached the king, told her about you know, the, the proclamation and how it was wrong. And King Xerxes did a little bit of research. And instead, he, he ended up not extinguishing the Jews and, in fact, had Haman killed. So Esther, another example of somebody who was very humble, but who was also determined, fiercely determined to do God's will. The Bible talks much about humility, and here's a a, a quote that I think is appropriate from Matthew, Matthew 23, 12. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Now, sometimes we think of, of humility as a weakness, is, you know, is we're going to be rolled over if we're just, if we're humble people. But it's really not. It's a strength as exhibited in the, the lives of these people who are humble people. You know, yet they were courageous people. And I always find it interesting as I read secular authors, and I tend to read a bit about, um, you know, business authors, how sometimes they will reflect biblical principles as principles that, that are effective in other forms of life. One of my favorite authors is, is someone by the name of Jim Collins. Jim Collins has written a number of books, but two of them that I, that I particularly noted are Built to Last and Good to Great. And in both of those books, he researched companies that were very successful over a period of time. And what he, he came up with, his research determined that there was sort of a hierarchy of leadership. At the very bottom, the less effective leaders, the very top was what he called a level five leader. And what he noted is there were two characteristics that these very effective level five leaders had. One was humility, and the second was a fierce resolve to fulfill their company's mission. These level five leaders were often people who were not known, even though their companies were successful. They let other people take credit for whatever it is that they accomplished, but they were fiercely resolved to fulfill their company's mission. And this is very reflective of these biblical principles that I've been talking about. And you may be sitting here thinking, well, you know, I'm not a leader. Well, if you, if you look at the, some of the people I've cited in the Bible, they were, they were ordinary people. They weren't leaders, but they were thrust into a leadership position. And really all of us at some point in time are leaders. If you're a parent, you're a leader of your family or a grandparent, you're a leader of your family. A student it may be involved in student activities from one time or another. So you're a leader in those, in those activities or as a volunteer, maybe in this church or in the community. There are, the fact is that there, that there are times in which we're all leaders and we're leaders and sometimes followers. But in either case, we're called to live lives of humility but also to be fiercely determined to fill, uh, fulfill God's will for us. And I'll just give you one more example of someone that, that I've came across who I felt was very, very humble. Her name was Nina. And as a church that I attended in California, Nina was in charge of the kitchen. So she was on fellowship time. She was the one that arranged for everybody to bring the food in. And she just was an amazing person. She always had a smile. She had such a pleasant personality, but she got the job done. She knew what her mission was. 
And she was, and she was the go-to person. Whenever there was a church event, oh, we have to call Nina. She's going to get things done to serve the food. Another, another example. So yeah, I've been talking a bit about humility. So how do we define humility? Well, one definition is humility is freedom from pride and arrogance. It's the opposite of, hum- of humility is pride and arrogance. And the Bible has much to say about pride. Proverbs 11:2 reads, when pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. And I do believe that a, a battle we all have in life is between being self-centered, which is being conceited and arrogant, and being God-centered and other-centered. So there is a tension in all our lives. And, and, and so the, the question is, uh, well, before I come to the question, another definition of humility that I really like, and this is from, from Rick Warren, and his definition is, humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. And I like that. Not, it's, uh, humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. So the question is, how do we develop a life marked by humility? C.S. Lewis gives us what I think is the first step, and I'm going to quote from Mere Christianity. C.S. Lewis says, if you think you are not conceited, then you are conceited indeed. And I was going to ask a question if anyone here thinks they're not conceited, but I didn't want to embarrass anyone. <laughs> the fact is that we're all conceited in one way or another. We all have a little bit of arrogance in us. And, and, and part of that first step is to pray to God to help us with our arrogance and our pride, to help us live a life of humility. So that's really a first step. And I'm going to suggest four other ways or four other habits that we can develop um, to live a life of humility. The first one is to develop good listening skills. You know, most people, I mean, all people really want to be heard, but I think there's a tendency in our culture to, to talk a lot, to talk and not, not listen to other people. And as, as I'm going through these, by the way, this is something that's a reminder to me as, as much as it is something that I'm trying to teach to others because I have these faults all the time, but it's a good reminder. For example, you know, in, in listening uh, or talking rather than listening, I don't know if you've had this experience, but I have it sometimes. I'm introduced to a new person. And they tell me their name, and I'm thinking, okay, what do I say? I say something, and I said, oh, what was their name? Do you ever, ever do that? I, I mean, that happens to me all the time. I have to remember that. One thing that bothers me, and I've done this occasionally, another thing that bothers me is when somebody um, says something that's very deep, when they express something that's very deep and emotional. You know, sometimes we don't know how to react. But often, a common reaction to that is, is to say something like, oh, I understand what you're saying. I've had a same, the same experience or similar experience. Let me tell you about my experience. And that shifts the conversation from somebody who has just shared something personal to something about you. And yes, there may be a time to, serve, to, to, to um, say something about yourself, but you want to do that after you really listen to the other person. Maybe ask questions, go a little deeper while the person expresses whatever it is that's on her, his or her mind. So developing good listening skills is very important to live a life of, of humility. A second is to practice, uh, practice gratitude. Now read, uh, and again, the Bible says much about this. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18, it reads, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. 
So I've known, I think we probably all know, that gratitude is a good thing. But within the last year, I read a book that was helpful to me. It was called Gratitude Works. The subtitle of the book is A 21-Day Program for Creating Emotional Prosperity. It was by Robert Emmons. And in the book, he suggests that gratitude can be, not only can be helpful to us, but also be helpful to build relationships with other people. And expressing gratitude is a way to develop humility. And Emmons suggests at least two things to do. One is to keep a gratitude journal. And the second thing is to write letters or to express our gratitude in some form to other people. And and this is something you may do, you may not, but I would encourage you to to, to do this because when we actually write a journal or we express it to other people, it really helps build our appreciation for others, helps develop the sense of of humility, and helps build the relationships with those other people. And, you know, there are people all around us that we might, they're, they're kind of invisible people that we can express our gratitude with. These may be clerks that serve us in, a, in the store we go to or people that clean, clean the gym where we work out. And doing a simple thing, which is thanking them for what they're doing, that can really help make their day. It helps us feel better. And again, it expresses our humility. So I've talked about good listening skills, practicing gratitude as a way to develop humility. A third way is to show kindness and forgiveness. You know, we live in a, in, a, in a very divided world. You know, we come across people that are mean, that are angry. But if we can show kindness to other people, we can often break that anger. We can help maybe have a more positive influence on, pe- on, on people. And then also showing forgiveness. You know, asking forgiveness if we have harmed someone. You know, is, is can be very, very disarming. Or forgiving some people who may have, have harmed us. So forgiveness and kindness are very two important ways to develop humility. I'll just tell one, you know, one brief incident that happened to me recently. I was uh, at my a soccer game that my grandson, Declan, who was here, he was playing. And as I was sitting on the sideline, the, the, most of the referees are pretty easy going. This referee was, was calling you know, most of the offenses. And I, as I was sitting on the sidelines, I could hear these parents grumbling about the referee. Well, the game, when the game got over, I, I walked out in the field and, and I saw the referee walking by. And I said, hey, ref. And he turned around to look at me and says, okay, this is another angry parent or grandparent. And, and I could see that on his face. And I said, I just want to thank you for calling a good game today. He said, I could see that the players, there were fewer penalties at the end. They really learned something from you calling a good game. And he had a smile on his face. And I think I, I helped make his day. <laughs> so that was, a, that was a simple thing to do. But showing kindness and gratitude is very, very helpful. And finally, the fourth is to take responsibility when we mess up. Does anyone here mess up? We all mess up, right? (laughs) We all mess up all the time. And, you know, people know it. God knows when we mess up. If you're at work, you know, everyone knows that you mess up. Why not take accountability? Say, listen, I'm sorry. You know, I, I, I messed up, and I'll try to do better next time. Again, that's an act of humility, you know, when we, when we acknowledge, when we, in fact, you know, mess up. So let me summarize that good character matters to God and it should matter to us. And being a, being a person of good character can help us become effective ambassadors for Jesus, especially 
when it's coupled with a fierce desire, a fierce determination to let other people know who Jesus is. And I will give you three, three ways, I think, that you can help others know who Jesus is and practice these things that I've been, that I've been talking about. So one first is to pray for people. Identify people in your network who are far from God. If you can identify people in your network and then pray for them, diligently pray for them. I was part of a kind of a national evangelism group a number of years ago, and in the very first meeting, I got together with this group of, group of men, and they had committed a year before to identify the five to 10 people that they thought were farthest from God that would never come to faith. And they, they all agreed to diligently pray for these people. And so I was at a year later, and I just sat there and I listened to the stories of people who were far from God that came to accept Jesus as their Savior. And it was just amazing to hear these stories about people. So prayer works. I know that one of my prayers is often to have God put other people in front of me who don't yet know Jesus. So prayer is really a very important thing to be a good and effective ambassador for Jesus. And the second thing is to engage people. It's one thing to pray for them, but to engage people. You know, one of the things that it kind of bothers me sometimes when I talk to groups and, and, I, and, I, and I encourage them to be, you know, to be ambassadors, to go make disciples, and they say, well, I don't know anyone. And the fact is that as we are, are followers of Jesus, most of our friends tend to be Christians. But then I ask, I say, well, where do you work? I don't think everyone there is a Christian. Where do you live? Probably not all your neighbors. Where do you work out? The fact is that there are people around us, all around us, who are not yet followers of Christ. So we can pray about them, pray for them, and then engage them. You know, become their friends, take them out for coffee, do something else with them, become their friends. And then there may be an opportunity to then share you know, the gospel message with them. So we have to engage, so pray for people, engage them. And the third, which is I've alluded to earlier, is to develop good listening skills. People don't want to be preached to. But if we listen to them, you know, listen to their story. Everybody has, everybody has a story. You know, ask them, you know, where they, you know, where they were brought up, where do they believe faith-wise, and, you know, question after question, you can ask them. And often what, what happens when you do that is you'll find some common ground, things that you may have experienced. Then ask them permission for you to share your story and how Jesus has changed your life. So developing those good listening skills is also is very, very important. Let me just end with, um, with, with a story. And this is a story about someone that I had prayed about for quite a bit. His name is Ed. And Ed is a guy that I play tennis with. What I find, a way that I often engage people is through my activities like tennis. Um, and so Ed was a guy that I, that I got to know, and he and I played tennis. And I realized along the way that he really wasn't uh, a follower of Jesus. But there were these events that a group of us put on called the Silicon Valley Prayer Breakfast. And I, attend, I invited him to attend one of the events. And there was, I don't remember that day who the speaker was, but it was a, it was a leader that was talking about his faith in Jesus. So after the event, I, I, asked, I asked Ed, I said, Ed, would you like to get together? Maybe we can talk a little bit about Faith? And he said, sure. And he says, well, we, so we made a date after our next tennis match. We'd go, we'd talk about it. So the match ended. 
that day and I said, okay, Ed, you, you know, let's go get a cup of coffee and we can, we can talk. And he said, well, no, I don't think I'm really ready to do that. And of course I was disappointed you know, that he said that he wasn't, he wasn't ready. But anyway, I was, so I was in the locker room and I was, as I was in the locker room, I could hear the Holy Spirit speak to me. He said, go ask him again. So I walked over to his locker and I said, Ed, you had expressed interest. Let's just get a, coffee, get a cup of coffee and talk some more. And he agreed. You know, so we went, we had at least a, a two-hour conversation, more than two hours. And the most, the first hour of that conversation was me just simply asking him questions, questions about his faith. And it turned out that he was really angry with God. He had gone to a church as a young boy, but then both his parents died and he had the responsibility to bring up his siblings. And he, he didn't want anything to do with a God that would, in his words, to make something, to allow something like that to happen. So as we, we talked along, and I could identify there were some things uh, that we had, there was some common ground. And I asked permission, and I shared some of my story and how Jesus had changed my life. So we began a series of conversations like that. And, and I had a call from, from Ed. This is maybe a couple of months later at Christmas. It was probably the best Christmas present I received that year. Ed called me all excited. He said, Skip, I want you to know, I just accepted Jesus as my savior. <laughs> and I said, wow. I said, Ed, tell me, how did that happen? <laughs> and he said that he was visiting his family in Southern California, and one of his brothers was in jail, was in prison. So he visited his brother, and as he was in prison, he met another prisoner who was a Christian, and this other prisoner shared the gospel with him. And Ed said, well, I, I prayed with him to accept Jesus. I'm so excited. So it's amazing how God can work. You know, when you pray for people, how he works in different ways. And Ed said, well, what do we do next? And I said, well, Ed, why don't you buy a Bible, and we'll begin a little Bible study. And Ed became a committed follower of Jesus. He ended up joining our small group and so on. And I, I tell that story not to, not to bring any attention to me, but the fact is I'm just an ordinary guy. We're all ordinary people in this room. But if we pray for people, if we commit to engaging them you know, in, in a conversation, and we become good listeners, you know, we can have experiences like that and become really effective ambassadors for Jesus. And I'll say this, that, you know, in my life, I've had some success early in my life, athletically and later in business. I've also had failures. You know, but I will say that nothing has given me a greater thrill when I know that I've helped someone on this spiritual journey. And that's, that's an opportunity that each one of us have to help other people on this spiritual journey. So let me end with this, um, this next step. The next step is, this week, commit to finding ways to cultivate humility and fiercely resolve to fulfill your God-given mission to help others know Jesus and pray for those far from Jesus. Maybe to make it simpler is just pray to be an effective ambassador for Jesus. Jesus.